All right, as we've been talking about this concept of dispensationalism, uh, we're, we're using as one of our key texts, the Bible talking about um, study to show thyself to prove unto God a workman he is not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And uh, the, the, the first few dispensations, we're really kind of laying out a foundation. I think we're really going to start seeing as we get to the last ones, really the ramifications, even doctrinally, and how we understand Scripture as we get to the latter ones. And uh, uh, I, I intended to have the handout ready for the previous weeks. The, I think last week's we have a few more on the mantle back there. But um, I'll try to get the first couple uh, there for you if you want those, just for your own uh, Bible study and resources. But, um, but tonight we're going to talk about the dispensation of government. And as we get into that, you might think, why are we calling it that? And, and by the way, you can put any any title you want to it. This is not inspired. This is, uh, this is like I said, a hermeneutic, uh, an approach to Scripture. And, uh, and I want to say this by way of introduction tonight and kind of what we talked about the very first night. Everybody is going to approach Scripture with a certain lens. And so we want to ask ourselves, what lens am I approaching the Bible with? What lens? What, uh, what, it, what way of interpreting? What way of looking at it? Um, um, I don't know if I had shared last week uh, uh, with the church, but uh, there was uh, somebody who had actually shared a, um, a, uh, a post directly from a church. This was a, this was a church, and the church describes themselves as a group of progressive Christians and uh, uh, trying to, I can't remember exactly their like, purpose statement, but uh, you know, kind of trying to find their way in this world. And, and they put this chart together, what the Bible is and what the Bible is not. All right? I'm going to start with the, the first list they had, what the Bible is not. The Bible is not the Word of God, is what this church said. The Bible is not, in fact, I'm going to look it up real quick. I, I, I think I've got it here. Uh, because uh, this is important because this is, these are, this is the day we are ministering in or the day we are uh, living in and trying to uh, um, you know, understand really what's going on. What is the temperature of, of what people call Christianity today? Um, there it is. See, I'm bringing it up real quick. All right, here it is. So it's called Grace Point Church. The Bible isn't the Word of God. The Bible isn't self-interpreting. By the way, our position is you compare Scripture with Scripture, right? Uh, the Bible isn't a science book. The Bible isn't an answer or rule book. And the Bible isn't inerrant or infallible. This was this church's position. The Bible is a product of community. Sounds nice, doesn't it? A product of community. The Bible is a library of texts. It's vague, but in, I guess you can say that one's true. Uh, the Bible is multivocal. The Bible is a human response to God. The Bible is living and dynamic. I dug a little more dip, deep into this church, and, and uh, their, their position on the Bible, they're talking about how it's written by by men who are all kind of on their own journey to pursue God. And, uh, you know, uh, by, by the way, what, what's, a, what's a basic fundamental problem of that position on the Bible? No standard? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, I don't trust another person's journey to God enough to, to base my eternity off of. But really, it, that's exactly it. It puts man as the final authority. I mean, isn't this the problem, again, as we're talking about dispensationalism, all the way back to the garden? Your eyes will be open, you shall be as gods. You see, we always want to have the authority. We want to have, 
you know, and so, so, so coming back to this, do we have an authority? Do we have an absolute authority, a position uh, to look to? Now, of course, that's one extreme. And, and so how would you take it? Well, you take it as, you know, examples or allegories and, you know, uh, how does this speak to you or what do you think about this? Rather than uh, this is the Word of God and there are some principles that we can uh, take as we approach the Word of God. And one of those things we, we, we talked about in the, in the first week that the Bible is, uh, uh, we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. You say, what does that mean? I don't know if I believe in that. What is, you know, we, I, I don't even know what that means. Uh, verbal, God gave us words, all right? Um, plenary, every word, inspired, God breathed. Uh, verbal plenary inspiration. That, that God gave us every word he wanted us to have, right? By the way, Jesus, when he was uh, um, fighting the temptation of the devil in the wilderness, and uh, the devil tempted him to turn the rocks, uh, the stones, to bread. You guys remember what he had said to the serpent, or to, to the devil, rather? Say, say it loud. Yeah, mentioned by bread alone, but every word is proceedeth out of the mouth of God. All right? Well, if we don't have every word that he's given us, then how could we live off of it? You see? And so, uh, so with all that, what I'm saying is there are some hermeneutics we can apply, some, some ways of studying the Bible that we can take these tools and, and, and look at it. You know, some of the ones we look, we look at is uh, uh, words mean things. And we, we take the literary uh, approach. What, what, is the, what is the language of it? What is the structure of it? What is the historical aspect of it? You know, and we, and we look at what the Bible has to say. And, and we do. We take it literally. And, uh, and by that, by the way, don't, don't, don't be one of those that, uh, um, you know, uh, you, 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 you mean literally, you know, I'm trying, trying to think of one of uh, the attacks on it, but, you know, there, there is language in the Bible that is clearly symbolic, but I want to say it states it. It, it makes it clear if, uh, you know, and if, by the way, if the, if the common sense makes good sense, don't seek others, any other sense, lest it be nonsense. <laughs> if it makes sense as it is, Right, and so we, we just want to be careful our handling of it. And so, uh, just a quick review as we looked at last week: a dispensation begins when a fundamentally new revelation is given by God, which changes mankind's responsibility to God and to man. There's something fundamentally new, something fundamentally different. And I think one of the most obvious ones is the transition from the Garden of Eden to outside the Garden. That's one of the most obvious ones. Why? Because all of a sudden there's now a problem between God and man. Right? Uh, Romans, refer, Romans references it going all the way back. By one man, sin entered into the world. And then death by sin. So then death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, that, that was the very first fundamental change that took place. We call it the fall. And, um, and so there, there, are, there are points where there are, are fundamental changes. Now, Neither a richer understanding nor fulfillment of prophecy constitutes the beginning of a dispensation. Uh, meaning, uh, you might look at uh, the virgin birth. By the way, the virgin birth is pretty significant, would you agree? Uh, it fulfilled a lot of prophecy there. Not only the virgin birth, but the location. Uh, uh, finally, all the way back to Genesis 3.15, we have the fulfillment of it. We finally have the promised seed. Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the Promised One. All those prophecies going towards it, the Chosen One, the Holy One of Israel. We have all these references in prophecy uh, to the person of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't necessarily constitute a new dispensation because Jesus was born under the what? Under the law. 
right? To redeem them that are under the law. And, uh, and so we'll look at that in, in a couple of weeks, but uh, uh, that, that's, that's an example of, of that. Um, by the way, I want to say this. Failure to recognize divisions in the Bible, uh, I think, is a, is, a, is a big point of why there's so much confusion uh, theologically today in Christianity. Um, for example, why, why people really struggle with assurance of their salvation. Many times what they do is they, they go back to maybe a previous dispensation, they grab onto something, and they look at themselves and they think, man, maybe I'm not even saved. Because they're, they're crossing lines. And they're crossing over to things. And, and what ends up happening when we are failed to rightly divide is we put undue burdens on ourselves. You see? Uh, I'll give you an example. <laughs> you can't be right with God if you are not... Um, if you are forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You know, in other words, attend church. But you can't be right with God. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments, honor this, you know, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Well, now we're definitely crossing things because those are two different issues altogether. All right? Sabbath day is what day? Saturday. And Sabbath day is for who? Israel. Okay. Uh, Jesus said, or God said to them when he had uh, instituted it, he said, this is a perpetual covenant between me and you. Perpetual, unchanging. And, um, and so, you know, you have people, uh, this is one thing, uh, I really like Spurgeon and I like his writings, but he always referred to Sunday as uh, Sabbath day. And he called Sunday school Sabbath school. <laughs> but it wasn't Sabbath, all right? Um, I, would, uh, I would disagree with the Prince of Preachers. But, uh, but anyways... Um, so, so we, we put undue burdens on ourselves, and, and what ends up happening is people are unsure of their position with God. Am I saved? And you can take them to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Well, by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. And they say, yeah, I've re- received that. But, but, uh, but then they jump over and they say, but, but wait a minute. Jesus said, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, and I'll say I never knew you. But then it says, but whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and we start putting all these together and say, what, are these two different messages? What's going on here? And we get ourselves in trouble. And so I think there's much uh, confusion theologically because we've just failed to just, where are some of these lines? Now, I will say this. I don't want to necessarily be dogmatic on the lines and the conclusions I've come to. That's why the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Uh, it does some work, especially as we, as we get into, we'll get over there to the dispensation of grace. We might find some, some areas that, that, quite frankly, will challenge us. Uh, where are these lines? Where do we draw these lines? And, and different people draw them in different places if, you, if you've studied this topic at all. But um, hopefully we'll get some help with that. Um, Next, a failure to recognize a fundamental change is the most common error in biblical interpretation, leading to painful and drastic consequences of Christian thought and practice. Again, putting undue burdens on people. All right. By the way, are we allowed to eat meat? We're going to actually talk about that tonight in this dispensation. What do we do with meat? What do we do with especially unclean meat? Barbecue sauce. Barbecue sauce. It helps. Yeah. It, it cleans it. <laughs> It sanctifies it. Um, and then we look at, how, uh, here's a typo, how man was saved in the dispensation of conscience. That was the last one we looked at. Uh, not innocence there, but conscience. Um, now this is really where we're going to have conflict sometimes when we talk about, well, how was man saved in that dispensation? 
And I think we, we're asking the wrong question, uh, uh, for, for example, because you really don't have the concept of salvation as far as a personal salvation until the New Testament. Um, there is the concept of it in Israel as a nation. And by the way, if anybody wanted to be right with God in the Old Testament, uh, especially the dispensation of law, they had to come through Israel. They had to become a Jew. And so you had Gentiles that, that, that uh, were converted Jews. And they'd come into the congregation, and they would, uh, in, ma- in many cases, become Jews. All right, and they'd observe everything. They'd do all, those, uh, all, all, all the things the Jews would do. And so uh, the phrase saved, I, I, I want to replace that with, in right standing with God that guarantees eternal life. Now, for the day we live in, we call that saved, right? But again, that concept is, is, uh, is, is a little different. Um, if you ask the average pastor, the average Christian, but especially the average pastor, how were they saved in the Old Testament? Here's what they'll typically say, and I've said it before. Well, they got saved looking forward to the cross. And we get saved looking back at the cross. And it sounds really good. And, and, and we'll say, well, everyone has always been saved by grace through faith. Now, there's an element of truth to that because every act of obedience to God is there's an element of faith attached to it. Would you agree with that? Otherwise, why do it if you don't believe there's a God? Um, uh, the, so there, there's truth to it, but there was definitely an obedience. In fact, when the Bible refers to uh, the judgments of God, what it's talking about is when something is wrong, how to make it right. In other words, God gave a path when I have transgressed, uh, how to make it right. Okay, uh, so He would lay out when you, if you do if you commit this sin, or uh, especially in, in Deuteronomy as it relates to neighbors, right? You leave a hole in the ground, and their ox falls in the hole. The judgments of God say, here's how you make it right. And then he tells you how to restore it, right? Um, uh, here's one that we'll actually talk about tonight. And then if, you, uh, if someone sheds man's blood, innocent blood, what does that happen to him? His blood should be shed, right? And, uh, uh, and so, so we have these ways of kind of making things right. What's interesting, though, about that one, did you know there was no sacrifice provided if you murdered somebody? In other words, if I steal from somebody, there's, a, there's something that I can do to make it right. First of all, I have to restore to them uh, whatever it was. Uh, I think it's sevenfold or whatever it is. You, you restore to the person. But then there's a sacrifice to God as well for the transgression, for the trespass, a trespass offering. When it comes to murder, the only thing is your own life should be taken. That's why David, when he wrote that Psalm of Repentance in Psalm 51... He said, thou requirest not uh, sacrifice, else would I give it. I've all, for years I read that, 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 see, God's not really after our sacrifice, he wants our heart. Now that's a true statement in that, in that text. Uh, he says, what the, the, the sacrifices of God are broken and contrite spirit. But what I believe what David was actually saying is, there is no sacrifice for the sin that I've done. I'm completely at the mercy of God with my broken and contrite heart for God to forgive me. Because David even acknowledged that he is worthy of death. And Nathan said, God's going to spare your life too. God's forgiven you and God's put it away. And, and what, what an what a amazing picture of the mercy of God there because David deserved nothing short of death. Would you guys agree with that? According to the law of God, he deserved to die. He killed, he killed one of his most faithful men. 
among other sins in that, in that situation. And so, um, uh, how to get off on all that? Oh, as we talk about, you know, the judgments of God and so forth. So, so when we look back at these, uh, these dispensations, we ask the question, how can a man be in right standing with God? Now, I'll say this about the, con- the dispensation of conscience. God has not revealed promise of going to heaven when, when man died. Uh, now, did they know of it? I don't know. But let's be careful that we don't take something we know beyond and try to read it into that passage. Okay? Um, you and I know the whole story of Jesus Christ. As far as his, you know, what, what the Bible's revealed of Christ, we know the story. We love the story. But when God said to Eve that, uh, that, there, that he was going to give a seed, and the seed would crush the serpent's head, but it would bruise his heel, um, did she know the story of Jesus? No. We do looking back, and it makes sense. Oh, that, that's what happened at the cross. Right? But she didn't know that. So we need to be careful as we approach it, and we ask ourselves the question, what did they know? And the only thing we know for sure that they knew is what was recorded for us in Scripture. Okay? And so, quite frankly, God, in this particular dispensation, now, by the way, we're only going to be in chapters, uh, really, 8 through 11 in this dispensation of Genesis, and we're already in the third dispensation. A lot of these are happening fast, okay? And, uh, and so, uh, in some ways, I really don't know what they know. Now, from the book of Job, which is written after this dispensation, Job was a contemporary of Abraham, but he references uh, a resurrection from the dead when the promised one would arrive, Job 19, 22 through 27. You look at that later. So, since we're not sure of this, uh, when this revelation was given, it is possible to assume that this is a post-garden, that post-garden man was aware of the resurrection. But I want to say this, all it is is an assumption. All right, we've got to be clear with that. Remember, what, what do I say about assumptions? Question them. Question them. But all we can do is assume in that the old, oldest book that we have, the earliest writing we have, references um, the uh, resurrection from the dead. And, you know, he even you know, he says in that passage, I know that my Redeemer lives. You say, what are you, how did Job know about the Redeemer? Well, Job was a man of God. He, he walked with God, and, and I don't know where he got his revelation, but, he, but, but God gave it to him. Um, next, the promise of life after the promised one uh, conquered death was the salvation uh, uh, promise in this dispensation. In other words, again, looking forward, the reiterating what's already been given in the previous one, uh, and there was no new information as far as that goes uh, with man. Now, there was a sacrifice, which we will see. When Moses got off the ark, immediately he made an altar to God and, uh, and made a sacrifice. And so we can assume he had some understanding as far as that worship with God and sacrifice with God. But as far as what's recorded in Scripture, we really don't have, like we would say, a promise of eternal life at this point. Does that make sense? Is that okay to say tonight? Um, as we look at this, some of this is going to sit a little uneasy. Well, what about those guys? Can, can I say, it's, it's okay not to have all the answers? Sometimes people will look at, well, Pastor, what about this? I'm like, it's okay. It's okay to not have all the answers. Um, a lot of people don't uh, sit, that doesn't sit easy with them. Um, but keep in mind, we are studying an infinite God, and we're finite creatures. Could we ever fully really know God this side of eternity? Um, 
I will say this, uh, uh, the last point there on this review. Each person was required in faith to follow his conscience and align with uh, what was known about God through revelation and through Adam's experience. Remember, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. I don't know how long this went on, but he walked with God in the cool of the day. He learned some things, and, uh, and these things were passed on. And then, of course, looking for the day when the promised one would, would provide the defeat of Satan. So tonight we're going to look at the dispensation of government. Why is it called the dispensation of government? Because one of the fundamental revelations of this dispensation made the rudimentary elements of government necessary. And we'll, we'll look at that in a minute, but, uh, but uh, this is, you can call it different things. Uh, uh, when we say government, we're not saying God organized a government. But when we talk about, this is where we, uh, capital punishment is first instituted. For that to work, you have to have some sort of authoritative body. And uh, which is which uh, we'll, we'll kind of look at here, but where do we find the dispensation in the Bible? Uh, Genesis eight fifteen through eleven thirty. This is right after the flood. Um, is where we'll look at this. The time period is uh, uh, two hundred thirty uh, two thousand three hundred forty nine to two thousand one hundred twenty six B C. Say, so how do you know that? Because it's in Schofield Reference Bible. But Schofield didn't come up with it. He actually was referencing, uh, uh, from, from hundreds of years ago, uh, Bishop Usher. And, uh, and he, uh, he really went through a very exhaustive uh, study with all the lineage and uh, to the point where he actually put pinpointed dates to the year. And uh, very thorough. Now, a lot of Bible students today, you bring up uh, Usher and they'll laugh at you. And they'll say, oh, you, you think his studies, his findings. And a lot of that is because how liberal theology has become. Because to, to buy his dates, you have to believe in the young earth. And you have to believe uh, the, the timeline of the Bible, which puts the earth at about 6,000 years, uh, based on the genealogies. All right? and, um, and by the way, if you are a Bible believer, like I am, uh, that's probably where you're going to land. All right? Otherwise, you have to start twisting things. Well, a day doesn't really mean a day in that tense. Well, it's funny. It means a day everywhere else. And so uh, I'm not going to get into creation right now. <clears throat> so what is fundamentally new in this revelation? In this, uh, or or what, what is the fundamentally new revelation? First of all, uh, in Genesis 8 there, the command to be fruitful and multiply is reinstated. Now, that's not a new one, but he reinstates that command. In Genesis uh, uh, 8, verse number uh, 17, bring forth with the every living thing that is with thee, all flesh, both fowl of the cattle, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may uh, breed abundantly in the earth, and be fruitful, and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth with his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing. And so, so he, of course, instituted that with the animals. And, uh, and then uh, chapter 9, verse number 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. Um, Next, uh, we learn that the heart condition of man is reinstated. Look at Genesis 8.21. And the Lord smelled the sweet savors after his sacrifice. And the Lord said in his heart. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The Lord said in his heart. How, how do we know the Lord said this in his heart? Well, you see, I just, I feel it. I feel that that's what God is feeling. I feel that's what God was thinking. Uh, well, God revealed it. Uh, see, this is why it's so important to understand that, that we're actually reading the words of God. These are, this is God word, God's word. He gave it to man. He told man, if you would. And, uh, uh, of course, who's the human author of Genesis? 
Anybody? Uh, I believe it was Moses. Uh, so, some make some arguments that there's a, the earlier chapters because of the style of the writing. Uh, it might have been several other authors, but Moses definitely compiled it. But, uh, but God had revealed it in some way. Here's what God thought in his heart. It says, And God said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his, what? From his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. Here we have a very foundational truth of, uh, of anthropology. The doctrine of man. And that is man is sinful from his youth. By the way, it doesn't say there man is sinful from his birth. You know, isn't that a big discussion we have today? Where, where do, where do um, aborted babies go? Do they have a soul? Uh, where, where, if, someone, if a, if a one-year-old dies in a car accident, where do they go? If, if they have a terminal illness and they pass away, where do they go? Um, and that's why we, we start bringing in that concept of the age of accountability. We start, you know, which the Bible doesn't really say this idea of age of accountability. There, is, there were times where they were responsible, uh, uh, if you would. You had, uh, uh, and we don't know what that age is. Um, but what this points out is that there's a point in time that from their youth, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a sinfulness about them. Um, anyways, it's kind of interesting. Uh, and, and that passage, I think, needs to be included and needs to be considered when we talk about the doctrine of man, when we talk about the doctrine of salvation. That from our youth, we're prone to sin. From our youth, uh, there's that sinfulness about us. Um, um, I think about uh, uh, Cain and Abel. God said to Cain uh, that uh, if he does well, he'll be accepted. But if not, remember what God has said to Cain? He said, sin lieth at the door. And, uh, and he tells Cain this concept that, that he's going to have to learn to master sin or sin's going to master him. And there's this accountability aspect that was given to Cain. We definitely see that, um, that uh, this dealing with sin. But anyways, heart condition of man is uh, reinstated there. Uh, next, uh, this, is a, this is a good one. The earth will never malfunction. Verse 22, uh, While the earth remaineth, seed, uh, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Now think about what they just went through. The earth just turned on itself. It's self-destructed. All right? Wouldn't this be a very comforting promise that God gave them? All right, from now on, there's going to be a cycle. There's going to be seasons. Now, prior to this, I believe that it was, uh, uh, there was not, like we know, winter, spring, summer, fall. Uh, with the canopy, and uh, uh, there's even evidence that, uh, that the earth may have, the axis may have even been straight up and down. Um, I'm not going to get into all that, but, uh, uh, but something obviously drastically changed when, uh, when the flood took place. And, uh, and so God gives us wonderful truth. Uh, by the way, again, it says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. That's problematic for the global warming crowd, isn't it? Or for the, the you know, <laughs> the, the earth, you know, we're going to destroy the earth. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the next, uh, fear and dread enters the animal kingdom, fundamentally changing the environment in which man lives. Look at uh, chapter 9, verse number 3. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. And all God's uh, meat eaters said, yeah, even as the green herb, as I give, I give you all things. Um, let me back up, verse number 2. 
And uh, the fear of you and dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon uh, uh, all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fish in the sea, uh, excuse me, and into your hand are they delivered. So here we have reinstated of the dominion, but now we have something new that's not mentioned previously, fear and dread between man and beast. All right. By the way, it's interesting that that didn't take place at the fall. That takes place here. And, um, and then, of course, you're allowed to kill and eat. And uh, by the way, that fear and dread will, eventually, will one day go away. The Bible talks about the lion lying down with the lamb, and, uh, and a child will lead them, and the, the viper, and the, you know, this peace and harmony, and it'll go back to probably much like it was in the Garden of Eden. I don't think it would be a big deal for your child to be uh, riding on a lion, <laughs> playing with the thing, you know. How cool would that be, by the way? Uh, uh, some of those animals, you're like, but they look so cuddly. How could they want to hurt me? Uh, well, they don't want to hurt you. There's a fear of you. You see, that's all part of, uh, a part of this. And then, uh, uh, by the way, uh, without uh, the next part I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share, we would probably look at this and call this the dispensation of steak. <laughs> because now you can eat meat. And uh, maybe they were, people were eating meat prior to this. Remember, there was a great population that God had killed off. Maybe some of the more um, wicked were, but, uh, but as far as God giving permission, there's no recording of that until this point. Meat will be to you like the herb. And then government becomes necessary because of the blood-for-blood blood requirement, which is a fundamentally new to this dispensation. Genesis 9, verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Now, previously, we had a murder, right? Who, who was murdered previously? Abel got murdered, right? And then Cain, when God gave Cain a curse, he said, uh, anyone that sees me will slay me. So what did God say? He said, uh, nope. In fact, if anybody tries to kill you, uh, there's going to be a judgment on them. And so, so it was almost even worse that uh, they would despise him, but they wouldn't kill him. And so much so that one of Cain's descendants also murdered. And, um, and so now we have the, the first institution that, 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 that now the punishment for murder is death. All right. Well, in order to carry that out, it's going to require some authoritative body. Uh, some, you know, which is, by the way, reiterated in the New Testament. What is the purpose of government? To bear the sword. To bear the sword. And so that's why we call this the dispensation of government. Again, you can call it whatever you will. I like the dispensation of stake, personally. Um, but uh, uh, what is fundamentally, or by revelation, true for all time as we consider this, uh, this particular dispensation, or what carries over that was revealed here? Uh, first of all, the responsibility for man to be fruitful and multiply is, uh, is, is uh, reinstated. Uh, by the way, let me just, I want to say this, and I want to caution us as well. When we tend to see families with uh, large families, with a lot of kids, um, have you noticed how society likes to judge those families? You know, what's the matter with you guys? Don't you know about birth control, right? <laughs> and they, they, they come at them. Uh, think about this. Is that from God, do you think? Well, yeah, we understand children are a heritage of the Lord, and, uh, uh, and the fruit of the womb is his reward, and we have all these passages, but, 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 but I want to take it a step further. Is, is this mindset in our Western society, our way of thinking, uh, could, this, you know, could this be a very ungodly attitude? I think so. By the way, you know who's doing a great job of multiplying and replenishing the earth these days? Islam, Muslims. 
They're doing a great job. You see, the, the Islam faith is growing exponentially, but not because they're reaching more people. They're having babies. And they look at us Westerners, and they're saying, you guys are so foolish. Give us a couple generations, and we take over. Why? Because they're having 10 for our one. 10 to 1 is pretty quick, right? And then if each of their sons or each of their kids have 10 in their families, and each of them have 10, I saw one person kind of do the math, how quickly, we're talking hundreds of thousands in just a couple generations from one family. I mean, it's amazing how quickly we can multiply. By the way, that's also proof of a young earth when you consider how uh, quick generation, how quick population grows. Um, uh, there's no way that the earth could be as old or, or the human race could be as old as uh, evolutionists say. But that's another issue. Um, next, uh, man's heart condition is still toward evil in this dispensation that we are in. It's, uh, would you agree with that? That's, that's why we have a need for a Savior. Uh, Christ died. Uh, uh, the, 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 the Bible says, uh, as Paul um, defines the gospel, that Jesus... Uh, uh, um, came to save sinners. He said, of whom I am chief. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, uh, uh, this is the gospel. Uh, Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But for our sins, that's the, the reason for it. That's the need for it. Um, next, uh, the reliability of the earth to cycle through its seasons. Have you uh, uh, read about in the 70s, the warning of global cooling? The, uh, another ice age is coming, right? And the same alarmists were in the 90s, uh, uh, global warming and the earth's going to burn up with a fervent heat. You, you know what amazes me is how they're trying to connect that to emissions and stuff. Did you know that uh, the earth went through an extreme heating period uh, around the time of the Roman Empire? And you know what? The earth survived. And there weren't cars, and there weren't factories. You see, these are cycles the earth goes through. And... Uh, and I actually heard a, a scientist talk about the concern really shouldn't be global warming. We can survive that. But it's very concerning if we ever saw, like, global cooling take place. You know, but, uh, but what's happening in the lower 48 right now? <laughs> amongst, amongst this global warming time period. They're freezing down there. I actually heard that some of, um, um, some of the turbine engines that produce energy and stuff uh, froze. And they're stuck. And so there are areas uh, uh, that, that's just completely out of power and all this because they're not used to the temperatures. Of course, we're used to it. We're, we do fine with it, but uh, they're not used to it. Um, anyway, so, so they're quiet about it right now. They'll wait till summer before they start acting up again. Um, but uh, but the, the reliability of Earth to go through cycles and seasons. Uh, uh, by the way, it could drop down to 60 below here in the next couple of weeks. But you know what we can be assured of? Summer's coming. And it's probably going to be quite beautiful because we live in Alaska. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and it's coming. And then this summer, you know what else is coming after this summer? Winter. It's coming. Right? But then again, encourage yourself because summer's coming. And, and folks, we can, it's clockwork. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a clock that's not going to break. The solar system is a very fine-tuned uh, uh, thing. And, uh, well, God made it that way. And, uh, and so, and by the way, 
when, when you think about where does this thought process come from, where does uh, uniformity come from, these things that we look at and just can, can really just, just know it's going to happen, we, we, we are confident of this fact that, that God created it, and, by, and the Bible says by Christ, by Him, all things consist. He holds it all together. Like the old song, He's got the whole world in His hand. And uh, boy, if I was lost, <laughs> if I was an atheist, there's, there's reason for stress. There's reason for concern. Maybe this is all going to burn one day. Well, I hate to tell you, it is. It's going to burn with a fervent heat. Peter talks about it. <laughs> but it's not because of what we think. And, uh, but, uh, but I'm just saying, you know, what a, what a wonderful truth and a promise that God said things are just going to keep going. The earth's not going to turn on itself again. That's what the rainbow is a reminder of. Uh, uh, to, to, God made a promise. He's not going to destroy it. He's not going to curse it that way again. And um, uh, so, so we see that. Uh, next, eating meat and other dominion issues uh, continue today. We can eat meat today. And, uh, and we have dominion over, in fact, we can kill our own meat. Amen? And, uh, and we have dominion over it. Now, by the way, I want to say this. Uh, I think uh, uh, having a good biblical position shows uh, that we are stewards of it. We should be responsible, Right? Uh, but, uh, but we do have dominion uh, in these areas. Um, the need for a, a responsibility of government to punish murderers. To punish murderers. Um, that's, that was the, what was instituted here, and I believe it continues today. Um, now, really, to punish all evildoers, but specifically what was put here was murderers. Uh, next, what has changed since this dispensation? In other words, what doesn't carry over? And in this particular one, no aspect of this dispensation has been revoked, uh, though the conclusion of the dispensation resulted in ethnicities and national boundaries. The conclusion of this, of course, will be the Tower of Babel, which we'll look at next week. Um, uh, so let's look at some conflicts uh, uh, revealed in this dispensation with today's society. Um, uh, first of all, the conflict uh, uh, is this, the Bible's instruction for capital punishment. Isn't it amazing that God deniers are the ones that typically hate the idea of capital punishment? By the way, same ones are typically for murdering babies. All right. Um, I think it was uh, Judge Roy Moore wrote a poem years ago, and, and he had talked about uh, how wicked America had become, and he said, uh, it said uh, uh, basically that, that uh, we're brave enough to... Uh, to, to kill a baby before it leaves the womb, but we're not brave enough to, uh, to send a murderer to, a, to his well-deserving tomb. Uh, some along those lines, that's uh, how he put it, and uh, uh, things are sure backwards, aren't they? The innocent children versus a guilty murderer. Um, so that's a conflict with our society. And by the way, um, uh, <clears throat> everything we see with, uh, uh, within this... Um, boy, I can't read my writing. I jotted down some extra notes here, and I can't even read it. <laughs> oh, everything we see in this dispensation, yeah, as, as it started government, all right, there's a na natural need for some kind of overseeing body, whatever we're going to call that government. What's the tendency for government? What's the natural tendency for government? To overreach uh, and to grow. To grow, right? Well, we can handle uh, capital punishment, but uh, uh, we need more stuff to do to justify our jobs. Let's get involved in this area. Let's get involved in this area, and the thing starts to grow. So much so that even within this dispensation, government was so out of control that it ends with what? Tower of Babel. 
Let's, let's build us, uh, all this language, us, we, and, and God even analyzed it. They're of one mind, and they organized this, uh, you know, rather than spreading out, being fruitful, multiplying, they came together. You know, that's kind of what government does, right? And, and um, when we're supposed to spread out, by the way, what's that? Unity, yeah. And community, and uh, bringing together and all these things. Um, yeah, they're trying to unify us. I'm going to talk about that one of these nights. Is, is unity possible? They keep calling for unity, right? Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together except to be agreed? Um, in many cases, unity can only happen if, uh, if a side gives in. And there are just some things that fundamentally we cannot give in to. Another topic, another time. But when you talk about capital punishment, really beyond this, uh, in government, uh, it, it, it tends to grow and it tends to be perverted by man. And, uh, but, uh, but this is one of those conflicts. Uh, Bible uh, uh, Bibles lim- gives limited role in government, and it was to punish evildoers. Uh, bi- as we look at it from a biblical perspective, government's role is not an economic role. Well, don't we need somebody to print the money? Folks, there was always an economic system when there wasn't government involvement. Whether it be making up coins, just trading things. And, uh, no, but don't worry, if, you're, if that causes panic, I don't think we're heading to this anytime soon <laughs> to where we're just going to be responsible for ourselves. Uh, this is the system we're in. But the role is not economic. The role is not social engineering. Um, by the way, we benefit from some social engineering. Years ago, they decided, you know what? We should have nonprofits and to help them. The idea with a lot of these things is we want to encourage good behavior, right? And so it's good to give to a charity, a nonprofit, and, and those things. And, and uh, that's one area I'm grateful for, but you know, that's not government's role. Um, uh, government's role is not morality. Who's, whose role is, is, is the issue of morality? Really, the family. And then, to help the family, I believe the church. Folks, if we, if we saw our families, and the church taught, especially the men, and the men taught their homes and their children, and they're raised up in a godly manner in this way, you know what you're going to find? Morality. But what we've done is we pass it on to uh, the government, and we're passing it on to school systems, we're passing it on to all these things, and, and uh, uh, that's not their job, and, and immorality in this day and age has become very, um, um, what's the word, um, relative. It's become very relative, right? By the, do, do I want the world's morality system being uh, put in my children? But also, when we start legislating morality, look at what we're getting into with um, these so-called alternative lifestyles. Folks, that's going to start hurting a lot of people. Already has. I think about the people that have gone out of business. I remember uh, the town I grew up in, there was a, a cute little wedding chapel. Uh, uh, I lived in a resort community, beautiful little mountain resort. And there was this cute little wedding chapel called the Hitching Post. And, uh, and people would have weddings up there. And, and uh, when uh, in California, they had... Uh, uh, basically, le- the Supreme Court in California had legislated uh, uh, that um, gay marriage would now be accepted, even though a la- uh, California had turned it down, and said they voted they voted it down twice. That that uh, that gay marriage was not 
uh, a constitutional marriage and, and so forth. But anyways, in the, uh, um, the, the, the courts had legislated it, and then later in the next ballot they actually voted again and overturned it. So there was about a six-month period where, where gay marriage was acceptable in California, of course, before it went federal. And uh, in that time, some people went to this hitching post, and they sued because he didn't want to perform gay weddings. And his business of like 30 years was instantly shut down. See, the social engineering is, is hurting people, you see. Um, I think about churches that are being targeted. I think about bakers that have been targeted. We, we look at all these things. But, uh, but again, coming back, what is government's role? I, I personally think there should be a debate in one of these presidential elections on what is the role of government. Wouldn't that be an awesome debate? I'd love to hear the reasoning. and I'd love to hear what they have to say. But anyways, um, government's job is not humanitarian. By the way, who, who should humanitarian fall on? I think so. I think when it falls on church and community, um, there's going to be plenty because you're actually seeing your neighbor and how it impacts them versus uh, just passing it to thrown it into a giant bucket and they decide how to distribute it. That's called socialism. Um, anyways, uh, its only role biblically is to punish evildoers, mainly murderers. And so we, as we consider that, maybe you could broaden it and just say uh, uphold the law, really. Uh, but again, it has propensity of growing. Conflicts, if you remove this dispensation, first conflict, and probably the most important one, we would all be vegetarians. This is a very important dispensation, all right? Uh, next, we would have no recourse for murder, at least biblically, all right? Um, and then the last thing I'll look at, how was man saved, or as I mentioned, uh, in right standing with God in the dispensation of government? Like the previous dispensation, those who died were not giving any immediate promise of heaven or individual promise of eternal life. Again, going with what has been revealed up to this point. But each person was required in faith to follow his conscience and to align with what was known about God through revelation and looking forward to the day of the promise, when the promised one would provide the defeat of Satan. Up to this point, that was all they had. And so there was passed down. Now again, first thing, uh, first thing Noah did when he came off the ark was sacrifice. I think Noah knew some things, but we don't have recorded of God's requirement of sacrifice or, uh, or any of those things, but we have... Uh, we do have a pattern being laid out. I believe Adam and Eve sacrificed. Um, uh, obviously, Cain and Abel brought a sacrifice, right? One was accepted, one was rejected. Uh, the blood sacrifice was accepted. Noah brought a blood sacrifice for his worship. But we really don't have a layout of here's what it's supposed to, how it's supposed to be done. So all we can do is assume what they knew up to this point, all right? Um, but uh, that's, uh, that, that's, <laughs> that's where we're at there. God did not get, give us, recorded specifically, the answer to that question. But again, many times when we study these things, that's always the fundamental question we come back to. In a lot of things, by the way, theologically, we say, uh, we try to relate everything to salvation, but the Bible is more than just the book about salvation. Right? Again, come back to this, we're studying the person of God, primarily, first and foremost. So, Any questions as we talk about the dispensation of government or of steak? I like steak. <laughs>